Hey everyone, welcome to my podcast, Candle in a Dark Room, where I will tell you the story of my life, the trauma I went through as a child, the recovery process, and how I live in recovery today. We will discuss all of the off-limit subjects, the subjects you've always been told to keep quiet about. This podcast isn't for me or for people to feel sorry for me. I don't want that. This podcast is about helping someone find the strength within when you don't feel like you have any at all. It's to help give a young girl or boy the courage to stand up and ask for help, even when they're terrified. It's to help give you the bravery to fight with everything you can to survive, because there is a light at the end of the pain, and I'm here to be an example of that. It's also to help parents and family to know the signs, be aware, and follow your gut, because if you feel like something's wrong and something isn't right, you're probably right and should not be afraid to ask questions. So please, follow my Facebook page, Candle in a Dark Room. Share my page with friends because you don't know who's going to need to hear this. We're in this together. My name is Desi. I'm 29 years old. I have two kids. I've been married for 10 years and I'm a survivor. I hope you follow me on this journey because this podcast says something for everyone and anyone who's been through any type of trauma. Hey guys, this is Desi. Welcome back to my podcast, Candle in a Dark Room, Innocence Gone, Episode 2. So last episode, we talked about the physical and sexual abuse I was put through by my stepfather from ages 8 to 15. You know, before we get started on the rest of what happened, the rest of the story, there's a couple things that I want to clarify. You know, my parents and I have gone through, and not just my parents, but my whole family, my siblings, my parents, all of us have gone through a lot to try to heal and get through all the stuff that happened in our family. And it's not been easy. It's taken a lot of work, a lot of effort. And, you know, my I'm very close with both of my parents. My mom was my best friend. My dad and I have been closer than ever the last year. And, you know... I forgive them. I forgive them for the things that they didn't do and did do. And, you know, I personally believe you're not going to ever move on from your past until you forgive. And we will talk more about forgiveness in a later podcast, but I just kind of wanted to go through that with everybody and just to remind everybody to, before you pass judgment on, you know, not just my parents, but other parents who weren't there for their kids, you don't know the full story. And, it's not as easy as it as it seems like it would be and that's why it's so important for me to point out those things to look for to point out those signs to look for so that way this doesn't happen to another family so we can prevent this from happening to another family because it's horrible and it's been a horrible experience for all of us to go through so now that that is off of my chest we will continue onto the story of what happened um, once I finally came out and told what was going on with my stepdad. So where I left off was I had went and told one of my teachers, we will call Miss R, about what was happening. And again, I don't remember the details of what I said or how I said it, but she believed me. She had already gone through so much with me. She had called the suicide hotline with me. She had seen the self-harm that I had done on myself. She saw the rope mark after I had tried hanging myself. So she saw a lot of the stuff that I was going through. 
So she didn't really question me. She instantly believed me and told me that we were going to go to the office and we were going to report it. So we went to the front office and went to tell the school counselor. Unfortunately, the school counselor was not a fan of me. Um, I think she thought that I was just this dramatic teenager who liked to start drama and wanted attention and I was attention seeking, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, obviously I was attention seeking, but not necessarily in a negative way. I was attention seeking because I was just trying to call for help. I was trying to ask for help without asking. And, you know, until I actually did come out and ask, I wasn't getting that help. I wasn't getting my needs met. So I was acting out by doing other things, self-harm. I would get in trouble at school, getting in fights, you know, all that kind of stuff. So she was not a fan of me. Um, I remember Ms. R told her what I had reported and she rolled her eyes and basically didn't believe me and told Miss R that she didn't believe me. Uh, Miss R did not take that very well and told her that she needed to call the police anyway. So they called the police. The I just remember it probably took maybe about 45 minutes and a detective showed up. She was this nice lady. She was shorter and just kind of honestly looked like a hard ass. And I was kind of scared of her at first. I don't remember her name or anything. I just remember she was really, really cool. But at first, when she got there, the school counselor, I think, had went and talked to her and basically told her, like I said, kind of just not to believe me, that she thought I was lying, that I was, you know, just saying stuff for attention, blah, blah, blah. So she came up to me and asked me, I'm here to talk to you about what you reported, but I need you to be honest with me. This isn't a joke, and this is something that you could get in big trouble for or get somebody else in trouble for no reason. And I just remember looking at her and I don't even remember what I said. I just remember looking at her and just telling her, I promise I'm telling the truth, something in that form. And she just looked at me and said, okay, let's go. Let's go talk. So we went to the back office and, you know, Miss R left. Well, she couldn't come in the room with us. And I just remember being terrified like sick to my stomach, worst feeling ever. And she, you know, just kind of sat down and was like, Hey, I need you to tell me what's happened. And I don't remember the details of what I told her, but I told her what I could remember and you know, what he was doing to me. Finally, when I got to the end of it, I just remember her looking at me, grabbing my hand across the desk and telling me that it was all over and she was going to help me. I pretty sure, you know, from what I remember as my eyes just swelled up and I just started crying. It was the first time in my, basically my whole life that I could remember where I felt like something was going to change and I was hoping and praying and begging that it worked out that way. So she told me she was going to call my mom and I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, if he knows what's happening and what I told them. I'm in huge trouble and he's going to hurt them. So I told her that. I told her the threats that he'd made and told her that she couldn't tell my mom over the phone and it was really important. So she told me not to worry and that she was going to, you know, tell my mom just to come and pick me up and no big deal. So about, again, another probably 45 minutes went by and maybe less than that, maybe about 30 minutes went by 
And I just remember her like kind of rushing in, like out of breath and just not really sure what was happening. I feel like maybe her mom instinct, she knew something was wrong, but I, I think she just thought it was, you know, maybe I self-harmed again. Maybe I got another fight. Who knows? So she walked in the office, the detective, you know, introduced herself and she just looked at me. My mom, I remember looked at me super confused and she said, you know, I need to talk to you. We need to tell you something important. Your daughter reported us to us today that your husband has been sexually abusing her. And I just remember my mom saying, what, what do you mean? And she repeated it and said, he's been sexually abusing her for a few years and it's gotten worse. Next thing I know, my mom passed out, like full on, fell over, passed out. I don't remember exactly like if I panicked or what. At that point, I already know I was crying. And the detective finally got her to come to and she, you know, looked at me. And I just remember her eyes were just like, like she was in complete shock. And honestly, I feel like at that moment, I kind of knew deep down, okay, she didn't know what was happening because she seemed so shocked and confused and in disbelief of what we were telling her. So instantly she said, my, my sons are with, my sons are with him right now and we need to go get them. Right away, I told the detective, I said, we have to go get them right now. If he suspects anything, my brothers are in huge trouble. I knew he was already abusive to, to my brother and my brother, AJ. And so I knew if we didn't get there quickly, it could turn badly. So I just remember the detective calling for backup. She told me and my mom to follow her. We pulled up in the driveway. And I just remember my mom getting out and telling me to stay in the car. The detective telling me to stay in the car. And my mom getting out and just like, again, she was just in shock and just trying. I don't even know how she was functioning. I just remember she was just like out of it, but still full of emotion. But she just didn't seem like she was all there. I think she was just confused and trying to figure it all out. I mean, I can't even imagine what was going on through her head. So she went inside. And at that point, I just remember hearing her yelling. What did you do? How could you do this to us? get the heck out, just like swearing. I remember her saying the F word. I just remember her just freaking out, screaming. And I was just in the car sobbing. I just couldn't believe that this was really happening. You know, I know it's what I, I should have felt relief at that moment, but I didn't. I felt heartbroken and terrified and so many different emotions. I was heartbroken for my mom. I was heartbroken for my brother. You know, that was his dad. And I just was, had so many different emotions. Part of me felt guilty and it it was just a really, really messed up situation to be in. So at that point, I just remember the, the hearing the cops or detective, one of them telling him that he needed to leave and he needed to take his stuff, pack some clothes and he needed to leave. They couldn't arrest him yet because they didn't have enough evidence at that time. It was just, you know, my word against his at that time. So they couldn't arrest him for anything, which was super scary because, I mean, he just had to leave. He just had to leave the house and go stay somewhere else. And I remember as he was walking out, the detective said, don't look at her. And he came walking out with his head down. And I just remember he looked up and he looked at me and I, we just gave each other eye contact. And I think I died inside. Like it was the scariest, craziest feeling I've ever felt in my life. It was just pure evil pure evil in his eyes. I remember thinking like, I'm dead. I am in so much trouble. Like he's going to kill me. 
Like I know I did not think I was going to make it out, especially because they weren't arresting him. I thought he was going to kill me. They told him to get in the car. He got in his, his Bronco. And I remember I was sitting on the passenger's front seat and he pulled out super quick and he went to go hit the side, like crash basically into the side that I was sitting on. And luckily the cops were there. They pulled their guns out and they just pointed them at him like nothing actually happened. They just told him to back up and to go, which is crazy to me that they didn't arrest him, but you know, whatever. And so he backed up and he drove off and that was it. I remember my brother AJ ran in the car, started punching me and saying, what the, what the F did you do? What did you say? What did you do? I think he thought that I had maybe told what he was doing to him and he didn't want me to do that. He was angry. I'm not sure. I think he was terrified of what was going to happen because we were both being abused just in different ways. And, you know, I was being abused physically, but not, I mean, it was bad, but not even close as bad as how my brother AJ got it and for a long time. So I think he was just terrified, which I don't blame him. Um, my other brother, which is my stepdad's son was three years old. And this is what kills me when I think about it. What I found out was happening when we got there is him and his dad and and my brother AJ were playing Legos. And that's the last memory that he has with his dad was they were playing Legos. And I don't know why, I guess because I'm a mom now, it just, it makes, it breaks my heart. And it's something that I always felt guilty about. And not because I did anything wrong, but just because, I mean, what happened, the outcome was because I came forward. And again, I know it's total victim mentality because that's not the case. It's completely my stepdad's fault. It was all him. It was his doing. I was a child. Like, I know all that. But deep inside, I have a little bit of that guilt. So that after that evening, um, I remember my mom, again, she was still distraught. I don't even remember when the detective left or, like, my mom and my conversation, her asking me questions. I don't really remember much of that. Next thing I remember is a bunch of my family. My aunt and uncle and my cousin showed up. It was my cousin's um, choir concert, I think. So I just remember she was like dressed in like black and white and she was supposed to have a choir concert. And they came and showed up to the house. I went out to the front driveway and I just remember my aunt was crying and she gave me a hug. I remember my cousin was crying and she was young. I mean, if I was 15, she was... 13, 12, 13. And she gave me a hug and she was crying. I don't know if she fully understood, but I think she understood enough to know what he was, you know, that he was hurting me. Um, she had been there through some of the things and she'd seen some of the stuff, not anything like physical or, you know, a sexual, any of that. But I think she definitely will tell you that she saw just the way he acted with us. And he would tell her not to tell my mom that he was home from work when she would be there after school and just things like that. And he was just a creep. So that evening, I remember my aunt, like I said, was came over and everybody came over. My um, grandpa ended up showing up. He was like a second father to me. He always has been. He still is and always will be. He's always been such a huge part of my life. And, you know, I remember he, he walked in the door and I just remember he was 
so angry but so heartbroken. He was he had been crying and he told me, I've lived my life and I'm not gonna let him ever hurt you again. And I don't know what that meant. You know, I just remember being like, no, grandpa, I you can't do that. Like I need you to be here for me. So, you know, everybody at that point was over in the corner talking to my mom and I was in the opposite corner of the room. And I just remember being kind of curled up like holding my knees and just crying and everybody was you know attentive to my mom who was on the couch who was hysterical and I don't blame them for going to her you know and not me because my mom is the one who needed that attention at the time and needed everybody to be there to help support her but I do remember just kind of being confused of is everybody angry at me and not really sure what was going to happen I was worried I think that my mom was going to hate me just a lot of different emotion. When I think back on that emotion, I can't even pinpoint it because I felt so many different things. Like I told you guys before, my dad and I did not have a good relationship. I hadn't really seen him much in like maybe the past six months or so before I reported what he, my stepdad was doing. And I had seen him on a few occasions, like when he would pick up my brother or we drop my brother off. Just we didn't really talk very often. And we had gotten in in a fight and an argument and it just didn't go well. So I just remember completely, you know, avoiding him. And I remember he walked in and he, again, was in tears. And I, and I just remember feeling that relief that my dad was there because even though I was, I had been angry with him at the past, I was so happy to finally like had it out there. So he knew what was happening to me. And he came over right away and gave me the biggest hug. And I remember he told me, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry I wasn't there. He had a gold cross around his neck. He always wore like gold crosses or silver crosses and things like that. And I remember he handed it to me and put it around my neck. I know it sounds so silly, but I just remember that was such a peaceful feeling. Like I felt, I felt safe at that moment. I just remember like him and my grandpa talking in the kitchen, being angry, saying that they wanted to kill my stepdad and just like all kinds of things. Obviously, you know, they weren't going to do that. They were just talking out of emotion. But at that time, they were furious. So it probably, honestly, I don't remember what happened the next few days. So I can't even tell you. I don't remember my mom and I talking about it. I don't remember going to bed that night. I don't remember any of that. Like it's crazy to me how those pieces, it was so traumatic that those pieces of the day and week and all that are just completely gone and out of my head. Um, the only memory I have that week is our phone was ringing off the hook the next day. Obviously, I stayed home from school and it was it just kept ringing and ringing. And finally, my mom answered. And I remember hearing her on the other side of her bedroom door. And I just remember her saying, if you did this and you love your son, you'll never call us again. And he didn't. That was it. I think that's honestly when my mom knew. I mean, I don't think she ever doubted what I was saying, but I definitely think that that just confirmed it. And that just confirmed what he had been doing to me. What ended up happening was it took a few days. It took almost a week for them to arrest him. It was actually a funny story because my dad is the one who actually found him. So... My dad had been, again, I told you, my dad was a detective and a a cop. He was well-known around Utah, and he called a couple different construction sites. My old stepdad was a construction worker, 
and asked if anybody knew where he where he was, if anybody had seen him. At that point, the cops, I think, had enough to arrest him because they had done a physical on me, lie detector test, all that stuff. I think they had enough to arrest him, but not enough for a full-on warrant yet. So it was more just like if they came across him, but they weren't going to like look for him, which is totally crazy to me. But my dad, I just remember... Um, he told me that he called all the construction sites and finally, I guess this guy called my dad and said, Hey, I know who you're looking for. I took him home one day after work and this is where he lives. Gave my dad an exact address, told him what house to look for, everything. And the house was actually, I remember to this day what it looks like and everything, which is kind of crazy, but, um, it was his stepdad's house. So his mom had died a few years prior to this and well I guess it probably actually actually died around the time that it, the abuse started so I was around eight when she died and I think that's all I don't know if that was the breaking point for him to when he started this abuse but he was really close with his stepdad and he had like three brothers and I think they all had different dads or they had like two two out of the four of them had different dads I'm not quite sure so anyway my dad ended up going to that location and what my dad says is that he was sitting in the car and he was driving past and my stepdad walked past the window as he was driving by looking for the house and he said he parked the car across the street he pulled out his gun and placed the gun on his lap the way he describes it is he just started praying and was like you know god i'm gonna kill him he hurt my daughter like i can't live with this and he said he just started thinking about me and that he just realized I was going to need him. He knew what the court was going to be like once I went through that process. He knew everything I was going to go through, the testifying, all that. And he knew I was going to need him. And I'm so glad that he had that realization because, I mean, I don't know, he, he probably would be in jail today. So he prayed and he said that he put his, he got out of the car, put his gun in the trunk shut the trunk and called the police. He called dispatch and said, this man raped my daughter. And if you don't get here in the next five minutes, I'm going to kill him. My dad said cops showed up quick, like in minutes and that they all came like a bunch of them. He said a bunch of them showed up. They all came and went running in and they arrested him and they took him. And the um, one of the cops told my dad, we got him. We're taking him in. I just remember my mom telling me they got him and that he was arrested and just that relief of holy shit like I can't even tell you like I can sleep I think that was probably the first night I slept and it probably wasn't great sleep to be honest you know I still had a really hard time sleeping but it was the first time that I felt like I could leave my door unlocked and I was safe in years and I didn't have to stay up and worry that someone was on the outside of my door or that someone was trying to pick my lock or that someone was trying to, you know, get me out of bed. It was the first time in years that I was safe. And I just remember really praying and being like, thank you, God. Like, thank you so much for helping give me that strength to tell. But then at the same time, I was also still really sad my brother was asking for his dad and was confused. It was just my mom. I just remember hearing her cry herself to sleep. It was just a horrible, traumatic 
thing that our family went through that we never should have been through. So it took a few few months um, before, you know, the actual court hearing. I don't know. It wasn't super long, maybe about two months. Um, I ended up going back to school a couple weeks later. And this is when I feel like things kind of really started taking a toll with me trying to figure out how to process all of this. So I went to school and there was this girl, the one that I had told you that I had fought before in the lunchroom. And I just remember walking in the hallway and she yelled, you have sex with your dad. And I guess everybody at that, at that time had heard what was, what had happened, but thought it was my dad, my real dad. They didn't realize it was my stepdad yet. And I just remember she yelled that in the hallway. Um, the guy that I had been like had a crush on forever was in the hallway. My friends, one of my best friends who's still my friend today was in the hallway. And I just remember everybody just looked at me and I broke even more and more in pieces. Like I didn't think I could break anymore. But at that point, I'm pretty sure my soul just shattered. And I just remember, and I know it sounds super dramatic, but that's how it felt. Like I was just could not believe I was in such disbelief that this was happening and that people knew I was so embarrassed and it was just it was a horrible feeling I just remember Miss R came out in the hallway and she grabbed me and you know took me to her her classroom and we shut the door and I just cried and the funny thing is I don't remember the rest of the school year so I don't know if I like took a leave of absence or if I continued I don't remember the rest of the school year so I'm not really quite sure what happened there but um, and then in the next year, I ended up switching schools and moving to a totally different little city. So a couple months later was the court hearings. And what had happened was they had set me up with this lady who was an advocate for the Child Justice Center. And she had talked to me. She was super nice. I don't remember her name. Um, I know she's still friends with my dad. They had stayed in touch after that because she was really helpful. And my dad knew her from other cases and stuff. I just remember we went in the courtroom. At this point, my parents were told that they needed to write a letter to him. And my mom, I believe, wrote, read her letter first because I just remember crying. Mind you, this court hearing was an open case, which like seriously baffles me that they allow people to just like sit in on child cases, but it was. It was an open case. So it was a freaking full courtroom full of people that I didn't know. And I'm pretty sure half of them were his friends because there was like these thug looking people. And I know that sounds funny, but like just trashy people. I remember sitting there and thinking like, oh, those are his friends. Like they, those look like his group of friends. And they were giving me the dirtiest looks of anything like anybody has ever given me, even to this day. Again, my stepdad had always told me if I told he was going to kill me, period, whether he was in jail or not. And so that was in the back of my head. Like, he sent these people and they're going to kill me. Like, they don't give a shit, like, who I am or, you know, I'm putting him away in prison. And, like, this is a huge deal. And where he lived was, like, a small town in Utah. So everybody knew everybody and it was just known. So, again, it was just a full courtroom of people. I was sitting in the, like, second or third row with the advocate. I remember my mom was there. I think my aunt was there and my grandma was there. It's all, like I said, it's all such a blur to me when I try to think back. I just remember bits and pieces of everything. I remember he came out in, you know, shackles in his like jail suit and he already had looked skinny, like not super skinny, but you can just tell like he 
just did not look very healthy. And I started just crying. He wasn't allowed to look at me at the time. And so my mom went up there and read her letter. And I don't really remember what it said. I mean, I mean, this was her husband. So it was heartbreaking. This was the man that she married and she loved. And yeah, he was an asshole to her and treated her like crap. But they did have good times. And I believe that they did have good times. I believe we did have good times as a family. And even when he was pretending to be a nice guy, we, we did do fun things together as a family. And I think... Um, you know, that was the father of her baby. Like, I just can't imagine the situation that she, she was in and the feelings that she felt about everything. So she read her letter. I was crying. That was already really hard. Everybody was crying. And then my dad read his letter. My dad was emotional, but not only was he emotional, but he was angry. He was really angry. And I just remember him looking at my stepdad and saying effing look at me you at least owe me that much you hurt my daughter you raped my daughter and just going off and I remember the security people had to kind of like grab him and like tell him to calm down at that point when they grabbed him he was yelling at my stepdad tell him to effing look at me blah 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 like repeatedly and I just remember standing up and it's kind of crazy because it's really sounds super dramatic but I just remember running out of the courtroom and just going out into the door and just falling to my knees and crying and just being like, what is going on? Like, I can't believe this is real life right now. I can't believe I'm dealing with this. I can't believe I'm doing this. Like, what am I thinking? Like, why am I telling everybody this? Why did I report him? I shouldn't have reported him because now he's going to kill me. He's going to kill my family. He's going to get out. Like, what if they don't convict him? And just every single thought was going through my head and just, I was just terrified and heartbroken. I just cried. I remember my parents did come out. They ended up coming out. My mom came out. They were hugging me. We were all hugging in the hallway. And it was just really emotional. The bailiff, I believe they're called, um, came out and said that the judge wanted to, to speak with me. I, you know, went into the courtroom. I walked in. I was shaking. And someone was holding my hand. I think it was that lady that was worked for the Children's Justice Center. I'm not sure. The advocate. But I'm not sure. Somebody was holding my hand. And I just remember it was a woman, judge, and she was really nice. And I just remember she looked at me and said, Desi, I want you to watch me put this man away for what he did to you. And she sentenced him. He got three to life. So unfortunately, he did not get full rape of a child. Um, They did have evidence. They had all that to prove that, like, I had obviously had scarring and all kinds of stuff they had that medical proof Um, I passed a lie detector he didn't they had all this stuff but he wanted to make a deal and if he made a deal then I wouldn't have to testify I was supposed to testify that day and get up there and talk to the judge but I obviously couldn't because I was an emotional wreck so they made a deal and made a I guess it's called a plea bargain and said that if I didn't take this deal, I was going to have to testify. And my parents, you know, thank goodness, they were really smart and thought, like, that wouldn't be good for me. I was already such a mess that testifying would have just been way too traumatic for me. And so they took the plea bargain. And it was three to life, and his charges were attempted rape of a child first degree. So he had only got three years, basically, for what he did to me which is such bullshit. The system, it's not fair. I don't understand. 
you know, people get more time for having weed on them than they do for raping a child. I don't understand it, but that's what he got. And you know what? And honestly, I don't remember being like upset. I just remember being grateful that he got, that he was being put in prison. And by the time he got out, I'd be an adult, I'd be 18, you know, whatever, that I hopefully would be able to defend myself. So that was it. And we went home and we tried to figure out how to continue our life. We had a house that we had, that he had just got with my mom. They had finally bought a nice house and it was so nice. I loved my school. I loved, you know, I did have friends that I, that I was close with. And even though that girl had put that around, I still wanted to stay there. But unfortunately, very quickly, my mom lost everything. Um, she worked two jobs already. She couldn't work anymore. After he was sent to, to prison, we started getting like letters and calls. And my mom started getting all kinds of stuff from people saying he had gotten loans. He had um, stolen construction like tools and pawned them. He had loans for all types of different things. And who knows what he spent the money on because he didn't help my mom with very much money. So that's what obviously I think he was doing drugs and drinking or I don't I don't know. But he obviously didn't pay the bills. So we lost our house. Um, well, we didn't lose it. I think my mom sold it because we couldn't afford it anymore. And we ended up moving to a different town in Holiday, Utah. And... It was kind of nice, you know, it was a fresh start. It was something that we needed to all kind of just pick up and figure out how to continue life. And I started a new school. I did not fit in this school. Like I stuck out like a sore thumb. I don't even, I can't even tell you like if I had any actual friends. Like I'm, I'm friends with a couple of girls still on Facebook that I knew from that school but at the time, nobody was very nice to me. Um, I think I had like one or two people that were actually genuinely nice to me. I had this group of girls that I wanted so badly to click with and it just didn't happen. Um, I still, I still danced, but at that point I kind of, I think that's when the depression had really sunk in. Now that I know what depression is, I definitely think it sunk in, sunk in at that time. You know, I just kind of lost my motivation to dance. I would dance, but I would just kind of give it half ass. Like I never gave it my full potential. Um, my eating disorder was like at a 10 on a scale of one to 10. It was full force. Like I wasn't healthy. I remember coughing up blood because my throat was so raw because I would throw up so often, but I didn't know how to deal with like what was happening. You know, just, I remember that release and I don't know if, you know, if you have an eating disorder, you know what I'm talking about. If you've had an eating disorder, you know what I'm talking about. That release of when you are binging and purging and that feeling of just like the adrenaline that it gives you. And it's so wrong because now, you know, I'm in recovery from my eating disorder and I realize it's so unhealthy, but just like an addict, it felt good at the time. It was releasing at the time. It's what I needed and it's what I did. It's what I did to cope. And I was also cutting, um, still cutting. And I was at that point, I was probably cutting even worse. I was pretty intense at the time. Um, I was seeing the school counselor and she was amazing. I just remember she was such a nice woman. I'm actually still friends with her. It's really funny. The teachers that I was friends with at the time or that I knew at the time that this all happened, I'm still literally friends with all of them. And I think it's because it was such a big part of my life 
And they helped me with such an emotional part of my life that like we never could really fully disconnect. So she was amazing. She helped me as much as she could. She gave me her own personal cell phone number. I could call her anytime, you know, just an amazing, amazing lady. And, you know, during this time at home, my mom, my mom was really struggling. Um, she was doing her best. You know, she'd take me to a, a therapist who was horrible and was trying to help me the best way she could, but she was so broken too that it just, nothing was working. We all were just so sad deep down and so confused and so lost that there was just no pretending. There was just so much tension between my mom and I. And it's not because I think that she blamed me or it's not because I blamed her. It was just because we were so uncomfortable with what had happened that we didn't know how to talk with each other about it. Um, Until I was in treatment, we never talked about it. So at that point, my mom's relationship and mine was not good. It was just really intense and not healthy. And my mom had started talking to this guy and she had had him come over one day and I wasn't there. I was at school. I just remember coming home from school and she and him were making out on the bed and I lost my shit, you know, and I don't know who the heck I thought I was like my mom needed to continue to live her life. Like I don't blame her for trying to date other people or trying to figure out. I know I don't even think she was trying to have a relationship. I think she was just lost herself and trying to figure it all out. Um, but I saw her making out with this guy, kissing this guy, whatever. And I just remember throwing my book like at his head. Like I'm pretty sure I like hit him really hard. So if you're listening, super sorry about that. Um, I never saw him again. But anyway, I threw my book and ran out of that house super quick. Called that um, counselor, that school counselor, and told her I was done. Like I, at that point, I literally just wanted to jump in front of a bus. Like I was just so done. At any time, like if someone would have handed me firearm or something, I, I really think I would have taken my life at that moment. And not necessarily because of my mom or what her actions were. It was just my, it was an excuse, I think, for myself of, you know, my mom, how could she be doing this? And how could she be dating someone? Or, you know, even though I don't really don't think she was, I just use that as an excuse to leave. I was done. I was done being in that house with them and being at the house with my brothers and her. I constantly felt that guilt that I talked about earlier and I couldn't handle it anymore. So I went at all places. I went to my dad and mind you, we had just barely started getting in the relationship again. But I went to his and my old stepmom's house and I stayed with them um, probably for about a week, maybe less. I just remember I was like losing my crap and I was self-harming and my dad was worried and my stepmom was worried at the time. You know, even though she didn't like me very much, she was still worried. And they just told me, we're going to find you a treatment center. You're going to go somewhere like a girl's camp or something. And I remember we looked at a couple different places. I remember we looked at like a horse ranch and like I was super excited about, like I just wanted to escape any way I could. So I did not really fight them on this treatment. I just didn't really know what, I really, I guess didn't know what to expect. Like I didn't know what was in store. So we ended up going to a treatment facility and it was a residential treatment facility. And I remember walking in and seeing all these kids like it wasn't like you picture a hot like a mental hospital or anything crazy like that I just remember 
there was a bunch of kids. They all looked at me, you know, I was the new kid and they were all like, you know, some of them were in regular clothes and some of them were in like hospital sweats and stuff. Like, I guess at the time, like you had to be in on certain levels to like have your shoes and pants and things like that. And, um, I just remember they all looked at me and I just remember being like, what the heck? Just kidding. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. And my dad and my mom, um, I believe my dad was there too. Kind of hard to remember. It's kind of a blur, but I remember my mom was there and we went into the fishbowl is what they called it. And it's literally a room full of windows all around you and people could look in or you could look out. And I remember the therapist came in, who I'm going to call her L. you know, I'm going to tell you right now, this woman saved my life. Like hands down, I am only here because of her and her dedication, and this facility's dedication, and the people who worked there, who continuously helped try to like fix me the best way they could. And the way Elle describes it is she, you know, she's told me the story a few times, and she said I was literally dead inside. She said she remembers looking at me, and I just was like, looked right through her. I had no emotion. I didn't cry. I didn't smile. She said she didn't see a smile in me probably for the first month. Um, I rarely talked. She had sessions with me like once a week. And she said, it again, it took me about a month before I actually said anything and came out and talked. Like it took a while for her. Um, I mean, it wasn't quick. Like it took a minute for her to be able to open me up. I actually ended up being in that treatment facility for two years. I went back and forth between day treatment and residential, but most of the time it was residential. You know, during that time, I think my dad came and visited me twice it was never a family session I think he I honestly think it was too hard I think it was too hard for him to see me that way but my mom was there all the time with my siblings Um, my mom and I did family therapy and let me tell you my mom's a trooper because I threw things at her I said horrible things to her like honestly when I think about the things I said like it breaks my heart and it makes me want to cry because my mom never deserved that. And she went to every single therapy session and was by my side through all of it, even though I didn't deserve it. Cause at that point I was a horrible person. I was a brat. I was just not a nice person, not a nice daughter to her whatsoever, but she continued and she'd bring me Jamba juices and dinner. And I remember one time they ended up banning like outside food because my family had brought me so much outside food at that point. Like my grandma would bring me food. My grandpa would come and visit me. My aunt would come and visit me. My mom would come and visit me. My other grandma would come and visit me. Like it was crazy. So, and every time somebody came, they would bring food. So, you know, honestly, but I'm super grateful that my mom never gave up on me because if she would have, I wouldn't be here today. And her continuously going to those treatment facility or that treatment facility with me really helped me be able to get better and help me figure out how to move past these things and to forgive her. Because, yeah, I mean, I did have some resentment towards her. I was angry with her for a long time. How could you not know? How did you let this happen to me? It's your fault you married him. You know, I put a lot of lot of shame and guilt on her and you know now that's why I said it makes me so sad because she didn't deserve that she tried as hard as she could she worked two jobs she did what she could 
and unfortunately she just missed the signs. Anyway, I ended up being there for two years, like I said. During that time, I was diagnosed with many different disorders. I think that they didn't know what to diagnose me with, so they kind of just threw all kinds of different crap at me. Um, I ended up being diagnosed with bipolar, PTSD, which obviously I do have PTSD, but um, they diagnosed me with bipolar, um, anxiety, depression, borderline personality disorder, obviously bulimia disorder, and then this is the kind of weird one was disassociation disorder. So I don't know if anybody knows what that is. A lot of war vets get this because basically what happens is you go back into time, like kind of like a normal flashback, but instead you visually see what's happening like it's in front of you again. You feel like you're there again and you completely reenact the whole the whole scene, the whole situation. And that is what would happen to me. Um, it started probably about six months to a year. I'm not exactly sure. I want to say about six months because it was still early that I would, I started disassociating. Basically, I would sit there and I would just kind of, I don't know, stare off into space. And then when I would do that, all of a sudden I'd come back and I'd be talking like an eight-year-old. Um... When I had reported what happened, what my stepdad was doing to me, I said it started when I was 10 because that's when I could remember it. I couldn't remember. When I remembered it happening, I was already 10, but I couldn't remember the first time it happened. So that's why I think also he didn't get as much time either because it didn't happen as long as they, you know, as long as it did happen. They didn't think it happened as long as it actually did happen. And so the only reason why they found out it happened when I was eight was because what would happen is I would go into these episodes and Elle would be like, hey, Desi, you know, what's your name? How old are you? And when I was eight, I couldn't say my R's very well. And so I would, I would talk like, kind of like with a New York accent and I would talk like a little girl and I would ask where my mom was. Um, I would cry for her. I was confused. Um, I would lay on the floor and reenact my rape and my rapes and reenact different things that he would do to me. You know, at times he would um, hold a pillow over my face or his hand and make me like basically lose consciousness. When I would disassociate, I would turn blue, like purple and stop breathing. Like if he, when he would punch me in the stomach, I would like in my episode, I would like lose my breath as if someone just like, you know, punched me in the stomach. Um, when I would come back to, sometimes it'd be 15 minutes, sometimes it'd be an hour, sometimes it'd be four hours. I wouldn't remember anything, and I still don't remember anything, except for what they've told me. And I would remember coming out, and I'd be like, what the heck? And people would be around me, and all these workers and employees would be around me, and I'd be like, what the heck just happened? And they would just tell me, you know, you had an episode Sometimes I'd be eight, sometimes I'd be nine, 10, 11, you know, whatever the age was. Um, you could tell when I was an older kid and when I was a kid, like a little kid, because I would get, as I got older, I would get more kind of like, I don't know, I'd talk back. Like I wouldn't really respond to them. Where when I was little, I was more innocent. I would cry. I would ask for my mom, things like that. So that's how they kind of put the whole age thing together is when I started disassociating. That got really bad. Um, it would happen sometimes multiple times a day. 
and it would happen sometimes once a week it would happen like it I couldn't even go on home visits because they were scared it was going to happen during a home visit I remember Elle telling me you know she'll even say to this day they would have actual like meetings just for me at this hospital because they didn't think I was going to make it they always thought that I was going to be in a mental hospital for the rest of my life that I was going to not be able to drive because if I drove, I didn't know how to drive when I was eight. So how would I drive if I'm 25 and I have an episode of going back to eight? I'd crash. Um, you know, all this stuff. It was just, it was chaotic. Also during this time, let me also add, I never added this earlier, but right after all this happened with John, I ended up getting diagnosed with type one diabetes. So by the time I ended up in the treatment facility, I did not take care of my diabetes like whatsoever. Um, I mean, I had only had it for a few months, you know, so I think I had it for less than a year and I did not take care of it like whatsoever. I used it instead of like the bulimia. I started realizing I could lose weight if my blood sugar was really high because it would basically eat its like fat to try to like keep my blood sugars up. And so I would drop weight like nothing. And so I started realizing that. So I started having to be monitored with my blood sugars. And I started, like, it was just, it was a shit show. And so with this this disassociation disorder, um, they ended up having to bring in, like, call a different doctor and figure out what it was. They had never really seen it before. I mean, Elle literally only saw it with me. And she was a therapist for years. Like, she's retired now. And she was a therapist for, like, 30 years or something. And I was the only patient she'd ever really seen it in. You know, there's different forms of it where people have like pretty bad flashbacks, but not to the extent that this was. So it wasn't very common. You know, it, they ended up having to put me on several medications. Um, at one point I was on Zoloft, Seroquel, Clonidine, Lithium. Um, I was on uh, like a, kind of like a Xanax nowadays to like help me whenever I have an episode or I'd freak out and have like a panic attack or things like that. Like I couldn't function. Like I was a mess. Um, I got so much worse before I got better. While I was in treatment, I tried hanging myself um, in the shower in the bathroom. I ended up in inpatient, which is like a lockdown um, facility at one of the hospitals in Utah because I couldn't be trusted. I mean, just it was just insanity the entire two years back all the time. Um, I would get released to day treatment because we thought I'd do better and something would happen and I'd relapse. And it just was a, it was a long two years. Um, finally, after two years, you know, Elle told me that I was good enough to be released. Um, one thing I want to just point out really quick is when I would have my dissociation episodes, they would sometimes give me like crayons, like a coloring book, and I would draw pictures of what my stepdad was doing to me but as like stick figures as like a child um I just recently saw these from Elle she still had the pictures and she gave them to me and I have them and I basically drew a monster with me laying down and the monster over me it's really intense to see these pictures but then at the same time it really makes me see where I was at that point and makes me so much happy like so much happier that I'm not in that place now so 
After being there for two years, Elle finally decided I was good enough to go home. I was released. At this point, I was almost 18. That's why I think I had to get out also, because once you're 18, you're not allowed to be in a children's facility anymore. I was 17. It's like 17 and a half or something like that. And because when I went in there, I was 15 and a half. So yeah, I was about 17 and a half. And I got out. My mom and I, even though we had worked through or gone to treatment and stuff, I still was a brat. Like I still had a lot of resentment towards her. I ended up hanging out with kids that I knew from treatment, which I don't recommend because basically it's adding one person's problems to your problems and you're feeding off of each other and it's just like not good. I'll tell you more about those relationships later. One of them kind of coincided with my eating disorder and it was just not good. Um, But the other one, I I am still friends with her today and she's sober now and she's gotten a lot better. But at the time we would go and party on the weekends when we were supposed to be in day treatment or things like that. And we would get drunk and pass out. Like I remember puking on the side of the road downtown because I was like so drunk and it was just not good. And finally, I, once I was discharged, my mom and I didn't get along and I decided to go to New Mexico. Um, My grandma and grandpa were going because my great grandfather was passing away. He was really sick. Um, I had been a CNA kind of on and off while I was in treatment. When I would go at day treatment, I was a CNA. And so I would work at a, um, like a, I don't know what they're called, like a rehab facility for disabled, um, young people, older people. And I would just kind of go there back and forth just whenever I was a day treatment. It never lasted very long, but I did have that experience. Um, so when they were going to New Mexico, they wanted to bring me along to see if I could help with my grandfather. That is when the next part of the story comes in. So I'm going to end this here. I am going to come back on the next episode and kind of just tell you how I met my husband and how the whole real road to recovery really came in and when my life really began to change. So tune in next time and don't forget to like my Facebook page, Candle in a Dark Room, So you could share this with your friends and hopefully for somebody who needs to hear this. Thanks, guys.